Thank you for turning on the Bar Review Podcast. My name is Jake, and this is a show where I get drunk and I tell you about the law. Today I'm drinking a glass of 2016 Merlot from the Williamsburg Winery, because it's the second episode, and we're going to be covering a topic today that is about as pompous as an amateur sommelier at a dinner party. Now the topic today is, you guessed it, the statute of frauds. This shit falls under the laws of contracts. The basic purpose is to prove the existence of an oral contract. Because usually, oral contracts are enforceable, but the statute of frauds is put in place, and it requires that six different kinds of contracts be put in writing in order to be enforceable. So what are the six? We're going to go through one by one, and hopefully you'll fucking learn. There's going to be sales and interests in land. So say you want to buy an interest in fucking Wineacre or something. That has to be in writing. Uh, Sales of goods that are $500 or more. So if you're loading up on widgets or whatever the fuck a widget is. I don't know why law students always go with widgets, but what have you. uh, You better get that pen and paper ready. Uh, Contracts that are in consideration of marriage. Contracts that cannot be performed within one year that the contract was made. So if there's any possibility that you can get that shit done within one year, you're good to keep it oral. That's what she said. Next one is suretyship contracts, so that's an agreement that you're going to be liable for the debts of another. Make sure that shit's in writing. Uh, Contracts that uh, that are made by an executor of a will to pay the debt of an estate with their own money. So all of those need to be in writing, to be enforceable. And so, what does all of this really mean? It boils down to that some shit is really important, so just put it in writing, you fucking dumbass. And so what do you need in writing? We gotta look at the requirements of what's required by the statute of frauds. Pretty much all you need is, you need the who's, you need the what's, because everything else can be filled in by the goddamn UCC, which I don't want to get into the UCC or the restatement of contracts, because fuck both those books. And it needs to be signed by the party in charge. So you need the parties to the contract, what you're selling, and signed by the party to be charged. And what does that mean? This is important. It needs to be signed by the party that the lawsuit to enforce it is brought against. So if you're trying to sue somebody to get an oral contract enforced, you just need that little paper or whatever you have to be signed by them, not you. It doesn't matter if you have it signed or not. It's the party to be charged against because they are stopped from denying the contract because that's their fucking signature. And so the important lingo with the statute of frauds is like void and voidable. So the statute of frauds doesn't itself make a contract void. Uh, The statute makes certain contracts voidable by one of the parties in the event that the party doesn't want to go through with the agreement. And so void, it means that it can never be enforced. So if you're Rudy Giuliani and you somehow married your cousin or something, and it turns out that that shit was void from the get-go, and it wasn't really legal, but you can never really run from it, Rudy. People don't forget. Voidable means that it remains valid until one of the parties just chooses to void it. And that means that they have no obligation under the contract whatsoever. Because you should have got it in writing, you goddamn moron! But don't fret, weary travelers. There's exceptions to this thing. The first exception is the admissions. So if you got the, uh, the other party under oath and they admit that the oral contract was made, bam, they are stopped from denying it. Then you have partial performance. 
And this is mostly found in the sales of lands and the sales of goods. So one party to the oral contract, uh, they partially completed their duties under the contract. And so particularly with sales of land, um, if the buyer is in possession of the land, uh, they've made some kind of payment, had permanent or substantial improvement to the land, like they built a fucking fence or they painted it or something, you just need two or three of those things, and then you can prove partial performance in a court of law. And the last one is promissory estoppel, which is a part of contract law all by itself, but it does exist within the statute of frauds, and it exists where significant inequities, all it's all about unfairness, would result from releasing a party from the contract. And so the party seeking release, they knew or should have known that the inequities would have been created at the time of the original agreement. Unless you're in North Carolina, because they don't do promissory estoppel. <laughs> Get fucked! So now we're going to go over some examples. You have Han Solo and you have Lando Calrissian. They go to a bank to purchase the Millennium Falcon. Lando gets a 60 billion credit loan for the ship, and then Han orally tells the bank that he'll cover the debt if Lando can't pay. So, is that contract enforceable? First off, shut the fuck up, you nerds, because I know that it was Lando's ship first, and that Han wanted over a game of Sabacc, you fucking dipshits. And secondly, it's not enforceable, because we all know that this is a surety ship contract, and a promise made to a third person to cover the debt of another, that shit has to be in writing! It told you in the fucking rule! I told you like four minutes ago! But there's a small note here, folks, that if Han told this to Lando instead of the bank, then it would fall outside the statute of frauds, because he made it to a third party instead of the bank. The second example we have today is Harry Potter goes to Diagon Alley. And he goes into Ollivander's wand shop and he goes, Sup, my man, I have 400 wizard doubloons, or whatever the fuck they're called, and I'd like to buy some wands for my harem of wizard girls who just follow me everywhere through all these goddamn books, even though I look like nothing like Daniel Radcliffe in these books, but whatever. Ollivander goes, That's great, you scraggly-haired little weirdo. Let me see what I can do. Harry leaves a little piece of paper that he signed himself, looks all official, saying that he'll pick up the 400 wizard doubloon wands next week, and he goes off to Gringotts to party with the fucking goblins, because they know what's up. Now, say Ollivander, he doesn't have the order ready when Harry comes back in, and he says, Harry, you scraggly-haired ninny-muggins, the fuck do you want? Now, did their oral contract breach the statute of frauds? Well, assuming that the dollar-to-wizard-doubloon ratio is one-to-one, -one, then no! Because the sale was for goods that equaled less than $500, and it could be enforceable as an oral contract. Now, we have the same question, but the transaction was for more than $500 worth of wands. Well, that's also not enforceable. Because think back to that little sheet of fucking paper that Harry left. It was signed by Harry. And the writing, per the statute of frauds, needs to be signed by the fucking person that the enforcement is sought against. So, if Ollivander sought to use it against Harry in an action, it'd be totally fine. But this was Harry suing Ollivander for his fucking doubloon wands. So now that we got the examples, I know all you bitches are like, how am I supposed to study this nebulous topic like the statute of frauds? Well, there's a little, like, acronym or whatever, like, jumble of letters that you can play on the Wheel of Fucking Fortune that you can memorize this. And you just gotta remember my legs. It stands for all the things that fall within the Statute of Frauds. You have marriage, the year-long rule, leases of land, executor contracts, guarantors of debt, and sales of goods more than 500. That's M-Y-L-E-G-S, you dumb motherfuckers! 
And so when you're looking at a statute of frauds issue on the bar exam, ask yourself, is there a contract here at all? We have an offer, acceptance, consideration. Does that contract fall within any of the statute of frauds? Does it fall within the my legs? And then ask yourself whether or not this contract actually is in a writing or writings that fits the fucking statutory requirements of form and content. Do you have the terms of the contract? You got the parties? Did the person you're gonna sue, did they even sign the fucking thing? Because if they didn't, you're like Harry and you're out of fucking luck. So thank you for joining me today for the Bar Review Podcast. I am Jake. I've been drinking some 2016 Williamsburg Winery Merlot. And that shit was the law.